Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful, what a wonderful time of worship we have already had this morning, and uh, may it continue as we get to study God's word together. And we have talked a lot about uh, what child is this, and have seen how the Gospel of Matthew answers that question in a lot of interesting ways. And as we've seen this unpacked for us and, and witnessed, you know, thinking of who Jesus is and God's faithfulness through all the generations, and we've talked about Jesus not only as King and Messiah, and we've talked about Him as Savior and Emmanuel, and again we see Him as this Shepherd King as we come into our text uh, this morning. But as we think about all these things and think about all of who Jesus is, it is amazing to think this is all very personal. There's, a, there's an enormous difference between knowing who someone is and knowing someone. There's an enormous difference between knowing who a king is and knowing that king personally. And that when you know the king personally, not only through faith in Christ do you know him personally, but you also are a beneficiary of knowing him personally. And that as God's word continues to teach us, may we see with awe and wonder just the personal magnitude of what God has done as we celebrate all of Christmas and the focusing upon His arrival as our Shepherd King. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 all the way down through verse 12 as we continue our walk through uh, the beginning of the part of the Gospel of Matthew and thinking about what child is this. So read with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and this is what we read. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see Jesus. Father, we see a lot this time of year, especially. In the midst of all the glitz and all the stuff that flashes and bright lights and all the commercials and all the things that are thrown in front of our faces. Father, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus now. In this moment, by your Spirit, at work through your Word, Father, may we be in awe and wonder that you love us so much that this is who you sent for us. Not only King, but our Shepherd 
King. Father, guide us into awe and joyful wonder at knowing Him. That we may come away today not simply saying, Behold the King, but that our hearts may say, Behold my King. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for His glory. Amen. So as we come into this passage of Scripture, we think of the context of where we are. Of course, we talked all the way through the genealogy. And so you think, you know, at first it's like, well, the context is just about everything, right, leading up to this. And so we made our way through uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, talked about all the genealogy. And then even last week, thinking about, you know, the angel and Joseph and Jesus being our Savior, but also clearly declared as the Emmanuel who is God with us. And all the wonder of what took place. And then within the context, really, between Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 is what we would traditionally call the Christmas story, right? What we will talk about next week from Luke chapter 2. And you've got the census being declared and people going off. And, of course, Joseph and Mary traveling down uh, to Bethlehem to be registered there. And there's no room for them in the inn, right? You remember all this? And there's shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angels, right? And then all of a sudden, this heavenly choir erupts, and they're making this bold declaration, and then all of a sudden the shepherds go over, and they go to visit, and they, they're telling Mary what was going on, and all these things are being treasured up in her heart, and they go home glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. What an amazing context we have here. We're told simply in, ver- in verse 1, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now what we know from what we find in the rest of Matthew chapter 2, that this is somewhere between two two years after his birth, right? Because after Herod figures all the things out that he figures out, he deals with everybody two years old and younger. And so you think about it, in this moment here, Jesus, somewhere in between that two-year span, is making his way through all these childhood milestones. The Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God in the flesh, is making his way through all those milestones of rolling over, right? Of crawling. You know, and he would get up on his knees and rock back and forth. It's fun to watch, right? You remember all these things. Starting to get up on his legs and stand up and walk. Starting to say a few words. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And you think of who Herod is, and of course there's a lot of Herods in the Bible, and you, this is what would be historically referred to as Herod the Great, right? He was vastly involved in all sorts of building projects and all these other things, and he had a pretty lengthy, interesting dynasty of people. But you think of what's going on here, and within the context of where we find this arrival of the Magi and this picture, it's really just life is going on as they would normally know it. And even historians of the day, interestingly enough, Tacitus, Suetonius, even Josephus talks about this sort of weighty conviction that was almost in the air, that there's coming a king, there's coming a ruler, there's this sort of rising up of messianic hope, and they're sort of looking around, hoping. And see, this feels familiar, doesn't it? Because Christmas is all about anticipation, isn't it? Here we are, seven days away, right? Tick-tock, you better get on it if you haven't gotten on it already. 
And so the anticipation is building, right? And every child in every home anywhere is sort of looking around, right? Looking in all the closets and checking under the tree. And some of them are thinking, wow. And some of them are thinking, you know, I'm looking for more stuff, right? Digging around. There's all sorts of anticipation. It's as though we know, even within our own culture, we can talk about all those things. We know that this is, there's something bigger about this than just another day off of work. There's something bigger going on here. And we may frame it in the way in which we framed it all along the way in our walk through Matthew together thus far. What child is this? Because next thing we know, we're told, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we see this word behold, and it's like this, inter- this interruption. Something extraordinary is happening. That's a very Christmassy word too, isn't it? That's what we want. Every time, you know, you'd spend all your time, I don't know what it's like at your house, but you spend all your time decorating your Christmas tree, and then, you know, you get all the lights set and everything else, and you finally plug it in. What do you want somebody to say? Behold. Right? Maybe you're all into the yard art or whatever else, and you got all your stuff laid out, and right, it's all deflated out in the front yard, and you bring the kids out there, you bring the grandkids out there, and you plug that thing in, and then you're like, behold, a 12-foot Snoopy, right? <laughs> you want that sort of reaction. Christmas is full of wonder and amazement, and here we are, this interruption, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem? Now, who are these guys? Well, you get down into the, you know, the sort of history and into the Greek text as they're referred to as the Magi, right? They'd be of Persian or Babylonian uh, stock. They would be coming from that area of the world. They would, they would be arriving from there. And we assume there's three of them. That's how it's often told because there were three gifts. They were interpreters of stars, masters and all these things. Not only that. We're familiar with these people because of the ministry of the prophet Daniel. You remember in all the stories, really along the, really in the first six chapters of Daniel, you've got these constant reminders of these wise men, Babylonian wise men, Persian wise men as well, who had all these sorts of dream libraries that they would you know, look things up and try to sort things out. What does this mean and what does that mean? But through the ministry of the prophet Daniel, they would also have an understanding and an awareness at the very least of all these prophetic writings that Ezekiel, his entire prophetic ministry was in exile. You think of through Ezekiel and around the time, similar time, they would be understanding and awareness of Jeremiah, understanding and awareness of of, uh, Isaiah. You think of them reading things like Isaiah chapter 9 where you would say, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. They saw his star as they describe it. Rise in the east, as it's often translated. We've come to Jerusalem. Where is he? We saw his star when it rose. We saw it rise in the east. And it's, of course, they're traveling from the east, so it would have risen. And this is an extraordinary, miraculous event. It's like even the heavens are making a big deal about this. Because the heavens do proclaim the glory of God, as we just heard a moment ago in Psalm 19.1. 
And you can imagine how this went when they arrived in Jerusalem. Going around asking questions. Showing up and going, where is he? Where is who? Your king. Herod? No, the king. What king? The Messiah. What? Now? Yeah, we saw his star when it rose. What star? It's like, you didn't see this? And you can imagine this conversation going over and over, on and on. We've come here to worship him. We've come to bow down in reverence before him. We've spent a lot of time. We've spent a lot of money. And here we are. We've come to worship him. There's an understanding that they have of who this child is. That all these people in Jerusalem don't seem to have a clue. What child is this? We've come looking for the king, the promised one, to worship him. And interestingly enough, here we are a week before Christmas. And we've spent all this time and all this money getting ready. Have we come to worship the king? Has that been the focus of our days? Is there an intent to worship him for who he is? Because how we answer that question, what child is this, makes all the difference in the world. Because the next thing you know, Herod hears about all this. In verse 3 it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod thought of himself as the king of the Jews. I mean, he was sort of ruling over the area anyway. And if you look at his life historically, he was just a paranoid, joyless, brutal mess. He put his first wife to death because she found out he was trying to kill her. He changed his will six times because he kept getting upset with his children. In fact, the emperor of Rome used to joke about Herod that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. That's how awful. I mean, he was the sort of talk of the town of his brutality. And so as he's hearing this, who's born king of the Jews? He's hearing a rival, a threat has been born. Somebody who's going to rule and reign and not in my place. I'm not going to let that happen. But isn't it interesting, that's how a lot of people are with Christ now? Like, hey, we can talk about the baby all you want, but don't tell, don't tell me he's going to rule in my life. Don't tell me he's going to be Lord of my life. He's going to tell me what to do. Don't tell me he's going to have authority over me. That's, that is a, an assault upon me. He would despise the thought of a shepherd king. Maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe you're troubled like all Jerusalem with him. And Jerusalem's troubled, not least of which they're afraid Herod might overreact. That this whole arriving of Jesus thing is just going to stir up trouble. And then after all, nothing's ever really going to change anyway. It never gets better. Things just always plod on as they are and as they always have been. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? That's where a lot of people are. 
It's sort of like, oh yeah, Jesus, okay, big deal. Nothing's going to change in my life. He couldn't make any difference in, in my life. There's no hope in this. And what's so terribly sad is that here we have people who ought to be excited, who are familiar, more familiar with all of the promises and all the, the things, that all of the declarations of God's faithfulness looking to fulfillment and all of this. And they, here they are, find themselves troubled. It's like they, oh, I know all about this and completely miss the point. Maybe that's you this morning. And so in trying to sort all this stuff out and trying to figure out what to do and how to respond and everything else, trying to understand what child is this? We're told in verse 4, Herod assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He gets together the sort of dream team of Hebrew scholarship, right? He gets together the chief priests. Well, the chief priests and the scribes as a General rule, hated each other. The chief priests were of the Sadducean party. They just pretty well denied everything miraculous. They were politically connected. They were often appointed in their priestly roles by Roman authorities. So they were all connected within all the political structures and didn't want anything to be changed as it related to that because they benefited from it. They weren't looking for a king to remove Herod. They were connected to him. But they knew the answer to the question. The scribes were the Pharisees. They were the law keepers. They were the ones who were so obsessed with the law that they created their own laws as a hedge around the law and then ultimately became obedient to themselves and ignored what God had to say. They were looking for the Messiah to rule, to come and kick Herod out the door, but they also knew the answer. He gets all these people, to, oh, I'm going to ask all the chief priests and the scribes, the people, and tell me where, where's the Messiah, where's the Christ to be born? It's like they look at him and be like, that's all you wanted? That's easy. Just open up your Bible. Micah chapter 5. It's right there. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem's David's town. In fact, Bethlehem's ancient, ancient. You go back and you find Bethlehem mentioned in Genesis 35. But notice in reading this reference to Micah chapter 5 verse 2. We're being told that this king is our shepherd king. From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A king who not only rules but who tends and comforts and cares and feeds, who has kindness and patience and bravery and strength, who pursues us when we go prodigal, who rescues us, who mends us, who helps us. Interestingly enough, as Herod is asking where, he's actually finding out what. What child is this? It's the shepherd king who's come to rule and reign in the lives of his people. This is our king. This is why he's come. He's got to save us, and then he's moving in, and he's going to rule and reign in the lives of all who trust him. And you think of the picture of the shepherd 
And we can't help but go to Psalm 23, right? And the shepherd who, in whom we find contentment, the shepherd who restores my soul, who leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because that shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, he comforts me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because the good shepherd is with me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the question here is the question here as well. Who's reigning in your life? Is it Jesus? Is He reigning in your life? Do you really think that you could reign better than Him? And it's... these questions that are being asked and all this curiosity about who he is and where he is and what time is he coming only leads to more clarity. Don't we see how good God is here? Because in verse 7 it says, Then Herod, okay, he's got his answer of where. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now these are holiday questions, right? Anytime anybody's, you know, I, I got something I, I want you to be at. What, what are the two questions that you ask? Where and what time? Where's it going to be? What time do I got to be there? Right? And you're trying to map it all out in your mind. And here's Herod doing the exact same thing. Where is he to be born? What time was he born? And he's trying to assess his threat. And he tells them. He sends them to Bethlehem, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. He's a good politician, isn't he? He's working all the details. Like, oh yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm going to come and worship him right along. You just go find him first and I'll be right there. But you can also feel how this just smacks with cynicism. Like, oh yeah, you go find him. I'm real worried. He's a real big deal. If we're not careful, that's how we approach Christmas. Oh yeah, okay. Okay, Jesus, come in the flesh. Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, okay. He's saying, you go enjoy. I'll deal with this my own way and in my own time. And it's as though we're looking at the, the Magi and we're looking at Herod and their estimations of Jesus. The one over here is trying to minimize the threat to his own personal life. And those over here are looking to enjoy his grace. Where do you find yourself this Christmas season? You see all this is just a hassle? Or are you looking to enjoy his grace? And again, as we think of the answer, what child is this? 
we also have to see just how good God is that he leads us from the midst of asking all our questions, I got to find, I'm here to worship him, and all this, he leads us and guides us to joyfully worship our shepherd king. Because in verse 9 it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So they listened to all that Herod has to say, and they say, Okay, right? You've had those interesting interactions with people where it's like, hey, and you know, you, know, you know they're trying to twist your arm, and you know they're trying to you know, co-opt themselves into whatever you have going on in your life, and you finally make your way out of the door, and you're like, man, I'm glad that's over, right? Like, okay, that was interesting. And so they're making their way. Six miles to the south, Bethlehem is not far away from Jerusalem. And behold... The star that they had seen when it rose before them until rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. They see it again. And notice God is leading them. Now they did not need a star to guide them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. There's a road for that. But they did need God to show them exactly where that child was. And that's exactly what happened here. They were led to worship. And we can see how God is leading and guiding. And we can see how he's shepherding his people to to worship. These surprising people who have come to worship the king. And we have to see that this is how God works. Now in this circumstance he uses a star to lead them exactly to where Christ is. In your life, maybe you used your mom. Maybe you used your dad. Maybe you used a friend or a neighbor to lead you directly to where Christ is. To lead you directly to the one who is the fountain of all grace. To lead you directly to the one in whom you will finally find the forgiveness of sin and contentment and everlasting life. He may very well use you in the life of a friend or as a parent or as a neighbor or as a co-worker to lead people and take them by the hand and lead them right directly before the king himself. There's no ambiguity here. It's not like, oh, well, it could be one of these three doors. No, he leads them right to him. What a joyful thought that God is at work like this. That in your life right now, as you're asking all the questions, why am I going through this right now? It may very well be that God is leading you directly to himself. That as you're walking through difficult circumstances that feel like darkness, all you need is that one ray of light to shine and pierce the darkness, and you're going to go right where it is. And that's exactly what God, God is doing in your life right now. You may not see it yet, but you're going to. Don't we see how good God is here? That he uses and he works in this way. He guides people to himself. But God is leading and God is guiding. Come and behold and worship him. That all these holiday circumstances are invitations to worship Jesus Christ. 
Maybe for the first time as you trust him as Savior and Lord that not only did he come in the flesh as a baby, but he lived in perfect righteousness and went to the cross and died for you and then rose from the dead. That you're going you're gonna to have a different Christmas this year for the first time because you know him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here this morning in the midst of all the stuff, right, in life and everything, and you just need this focus. And the, it's been like this gloom of darkness, and you need the light to pierce your circumstances. And here he is, and it's this invitation. Come, let us adore him. Like a star in the night, in the sky of life, leading you right to himself. We see his mercy in all these opportunities that he has given us. And could it be that this is exactly what he's doing in you today? Because as they go, we're told in verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, it's fun to read things like that because they are so redundant, right? It's like rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, that's a lot to say. That's quite a response. But isn't that what you're looking for on Christmas morning? You're handing the gifts out, and you're like, I can't wait for this one, right? What do you want to see? You want to see the look on somebody's face of rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. You want to hear all the sounds, right, as people squeal in delight because they can't form words because they're so excited about what's, what they've just received. Just amazement and oh, oh, oh and, and all the enduring wonder. And to think what joy because this has been given for me. And you think of these magi. It's like they're... Finally, finally, hope for me has come. You imagine how many times these masters of the stars had looked up into the stars and found nothing but confusion. And now, finally, there's some clarity. And it's leading them directly to the one who is truth incarnate. What an amazing circumstance. As they had lived in so much falsehood. Lives piled up with all manner of bad ideas and religious untruths. It's like we read this and we think these, these magi seem, within the context of where we are, here are the men who seem the least likely of any to rejoice in the, the arrival of Jesus here. And here they are rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Here they are satisfied in him because for so long they had known what it was to be captive in unbelief. Trying to find hope in the stars. Instead of knowing the maker of the stars. Trying to discern fate through all these sort of ambiguous ideas instead of knowing the will of the Father. And that as all their trivial searchings had failed, God in His grace succeeded. This is the Christmas story. The Savior, the King who redeems, who gives His life for us. Enjoy His arrival. Enjoy that God leads you and guides you directly to Himself. 
Because maybe you find yourself here this morning and you are just like the Magi were. You have searched long and hard in everything that is false. You have tried to discern the darkness in a thousand ways and have not been able to figure anything out. And it has only led to more confusion and more problems. You tried to plot coincidence along the way and try to find all sorts of ideas and all the words of man. And here it is, finally, God is leading you right now to himself. Come behold him. Come trust him. And come rejoice in him. Follow him. Know him. For all of who he is, as shepherd king, as savior, as Emmanuel, God with us. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They go into the house. These are interesting circumstances. They're looking down at him. There he is. They see Mary. But they don't spend a whole lot of time interacting with Mary. They fell down and worshipped Jesus. Not a whole lot of pomp. Not a whole lot of swagger. Just surrender. We need more of that these days, don't we? Come to Jesus. You don't need all the pomp. He already knows the real story. You don't need all the swagger because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In reality, we don't have any swagger. We come with a sense of unworthiness that he came for me. I don't deserve this. You know what it's like to have received a gift that you know you don't deserve. You know what it is to sit there and and to have received a gift and you know good and well you didn't buy that other person another gift. Nor could you even come anywhere close to what has just been given. You know that feeling. Look at what God has done. He's given himself. To save us from our sins. And all he's asking in return is that we would trust him. To lay our lives into him. To say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And trust that he has the authority and the power to deal with your sin. And here they are. It's like they're looking at this child amazed and reminded God keeps his promises. They knew the shepherd king was coming. They knew all these things. They had read all these things. They had heard all these things. This one who's the light to the Gentiles in Isaiah chapter 9, who saves his people from their sin. And then if the Lord keeps this promise, then certainly he'll keep the promises that he's made in other places. Like Isaiah 53, where the same individual as the suffering servant goes to die on the cross for our sin. And bear the punishment that we deserve in our place. Look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. And if God keeps that promise, then even still. We understand that our shepherd king grew up to to make the declaration. I am the good shepherd. Who lays down his life for the sheep. 
See, we find here embedded within the Christmas story this reminder that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, His promise endures and His promise matters. It's an invitation to come and to know Him and to worship Him and to trust Him. And it's the, they're just overcome with themselves. And it says they open their treasures and they offer Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now we all like a good Christmas tradition. This one probably more than most. Maybe you have Christmas traditions in your family where you watch a certain movie on a certain day or something like that. Maybe you like to pull all the ugly Christmas sweaters out and have fun with that. Maybe you just pull all the sweaters out not realizing that they're actually ugly Christmas sweaters. I don't know. But what better tradition to enjoy than the joyful giving? And here they are, they offered him gifts. Here's Here's some gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, on the one, you, you, you look at the bigger picture here. Look at how good God is. Because we know from how the story continues in Matthew chapter 2, Joseph and Mary are not going to be able to stay in town for very much longer. They're going to need support along the way while they're off in Egypt. Where would that come from? Well, look at how God provides. And at the same time, you look and you see, here's the Magi, and here they are, they laid out, here's some gold, gift for a king. Here it is with intrinsic value. It honors the identity of who he is. Here it is, they've given him frankincense, very expensive, costly, white resin, often drawn from the terebinth tree. Interestingly enough, one of the ingredients used in incense within the temple in the tabernacle that you find in Exodus chapter 30, this is gift, uh, a gift fit for a priest. You think of myrrh, and here it is also very costly and expensive, a gift fit for a sacrifice used in the oil of consecration in Exodus chapter 30 verse 23. As a way of indicating this is set aside for a holy purpose. And as we know, it was used often in burial. It certainly looks forward to the fact that here's the one who's going to die for us. But isn't it amazing here? How they were prepared for this perfectly? Isn't it amazing how God works? When they were packing their bags in Babylon, what are we going to bring? And yet they came with the perfect gifts. Look at what God has done here. Is he not the same way now? God leading and God guiding. And then as you think about it now, well, I don't, I don't have all this gold and I don't have all these you know, expensive things to lay down before the Lord. That's not what he's asking for from you. See him for who he is and bow down and worship him. Give him yourself. I need a shepherd. I'm tired of running my own life. Every time I do this, I make a mess of it. And it only gets worse. 
Because not only have I sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I'm sinful. And so even the ways in which I think and plan and guide and try to lead myself always gets contorted and twisted in some way. I need your help. Won't you see this as an invitation to come and know him, to behold him, to trust him, and to give your life to him because he gave himself to you in love. We're told very plainly in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God's still leading and guiding and protecting. Maybe you read verse 12 and you thought to yourself, well, what am I supposed to do with this? It was actually very helpful. Because believe it or not, December 25th is actually going to roll over into December 26th. And then all the stuff has got to come down. Then you've got to fill your basement back up again. But see, when all of the stuff comes down and you have to go back to normal life and you have to go back to wherever it is that you came from and you have to go back wherever God had led you from to Jesus and he leads you right back out, but he doesn't leave you alone. He's with you. He's still leading you and still guiding you. He's still working. Because the shepherd guides as always. That's who he is. And so the Magi departed rejoicing, empty-handed, recognizing that life was never the same because they were ever amazed by the answer to our question. What child is this? He's the shepherd king. He's the savior. He's the Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the one whom we all need. Do we see the beauty of the fulfillment across the whole span of what we've looked at thus far? And that he didn't come at this moment just to say, hey, I came at this moment and it seems like a good idea. No, he came at that exact moment when the fullness of time had come. Born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem us. Because we're unrighteous. We can look at the law and we say, well, have I ever worshipped anything else? We've failed already. We don't even have to make it very past one. And we already realize we've already failed. We need his help. We need his forgiveness. We need him to save us. And that's exactly why he came. And maybe you find yourself this morning just like the Magi, wandering around for years. And finally, he's led you right to himself. Having wandered in darkness and confusion and in the words of man for years, and finally you see him. And all that's left to do is say, I worship you. I believe. I believe that this child grew up lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and was without sin. Went to the cross and died in our place. That all who turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus, crucified on the cross and risen from the dead, have forgiveness and everlasting life in His name. There's one offering you need to give here today. Give your life to the shepherd king trust him 
now and live as he leads you on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the reminder of just how amazing you are. God, we pray right now for the people who are in our midst who maybe have been dwelling in darkness for a long time. God, we pray that in this moment now, the light of the gospel of the glory of God would shine in their lives. They would behold Jesus for the first time. They would turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord in this moment now. Would know the joy of forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Father, pierce the darkness in their lives. Father, for all of us in here who seem to be so familiar with all the traditions and all the stories and everything else, but seem to be able to make it through all of this without a sense of joy, Father, forgive us. Convict us. Pierce the darkness of our joylessness with the wonder of your love. Father, in your goodness and in your grace and in your fatherly, shepherdly way, Lead us right before your Son, that we may behold him, that we may worship him, and that we may trust him together as Savior and Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen.